Awesome. Thank you, Jeremiah. Thank you, Austin and the team. How's everybody doing this morning? All right. Super excited uh, to be speaking in this capacity. Um, always super honored and always want to be a good steward of the time that we have together. If we haven't met yet, my name is Nick Mastrud, uh, lead youth ministry, and we got youth and own in the front up here. Shout out to the youth. Love you guys. Um, Really, really excited to be uh, wrapping up a teaching series that we've been going through throughout the duration um, of the summer on the book of Proverbs. Um, it's been a huge blessing to me personally. Anybody else? Anybody like, oh, this has been actually really insightful for me. Okay, great. Um, I, I hope today that it encourages you and that it sharpens you um, as you pursue Christ and a life of wisdom in a culture of confusion. Don't we need wisdom more than ever in this culture that we find ourselves in? Yes, we need that. I, I want to start today not in Proverbs, um, but in Genesis. You're going to need your Bible today. Whip those bad boys out. Um, and let's, let's start here. In the beginning of Scripture, um, Adam and Eve, um, they'd been created. They've been walking in perfect unity with God. Doesn't that sound nice? You're created, perfect unity, no sin involved. Um, it's super nice. It's in this scene that we are introduced to the enemy, um, a, a serpent, a deceitful snake. And we learn a lot about how the enemy works in this moment. This is very insightful. The enemy doesn't come at humanity with a gun. The enemy doesn't come at humanity with poison or with bullying or electing um, crazy people into office. Okay? The, the enemy actually weasels his way into humanity with a thought, a way of thinking, a simple thought. Did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? Did he really say that? A thought of doubt. And then he puts this thought into Eve's mind that maybe God is holding out on you and he doesn't want you to be like him. Um, so maybe you should disobey him and just see what happens. A seed of doubt, a simple alternative thought was planted in the mind of Eve, which gave way to action and introduced sin into this world. This thought turned into action and this action has been reverberating throughout history ever since. Today, we're going to be considering and reflecting on the things that we think about, our thought lives, what's going on up, up in here, what are the things that we dwell on, and how are those things actually leading and guiding our lives, um, whether, whether these things are intentional or subconsciously happening in, in our minds. So the entire book of Proverbs, so it, it was hard to narrow it down, but the entire book of Proverbs gives us a new way of thinking that's what we've been getting at. If you step back and ponder for a moment, the Proverbs are intended to permeate our thinking for the purpose of invading and taking over the lives that we live. Like the Proverbs are gold nuggets of knowledge that find their ways into our mind in hopes that they're played out in our lives. So much like we've been talking throughout this series, if you're taking notes, note takers are world changers. Let's write this down. Wisdom, wisdom is knowledge put into action. Wisdom is knowledge put into action. I love how Charles Spurgeon put it. Put it this, this is great. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But, but to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. To know how to actually use the things that we know it, it is wisdom. There's a lot of people in this room who know a lot of stuff but knowing something is not the same as living a wise life. That's why we, we say all the time they should have known better. You ever heard that? <laughs> 
They should have known better. You should have known better. Yeah, they did know better. They just didn't put their knowing into action. <laughs> I didn't put my knowing into action. Like, um, I want to expand on a verse that, that Dave introduced last week, and I think this proverb should become um, our life verse in some respect for Christians in our day because the instruction and the wisdom of this verse flies right in the face of the craftiness of the enemy and the confusion of the world. And, and here it is right here, Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. It goes like this. Above all else... So above what else? All. Guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Here's what I want to highlight. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. The whole, this, this whole section is gold, but I want to tap into the thoughtfulness as it relates to the path of life that we take. The phrase here, give careful thought to, it also means to take heed, to ponder, to consider, to give extended contemplation and thought towards the lives that we live. So not just this Proverbs, but the scriptures are absolutely obsessed and drenched about the thought life, the things that we think about. Um, just let me just give you a few. Let me give you a taste of this. Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Romans 12, 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And here we go. Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the transformed life begins with renewing the mind. Philippians 2, in your relationships one another, with one another, have the mindset, as the same mindset as Christ Jesus. First uh, Peter, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. 2 Corinthians 10, We'll skip down here. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Philippians 4, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The scriptures speak of this because the world, much like the serpent, is very crafty, very deceptive. The the world is constantly filling our minds with images or ideas or thoughts about what the good life truly is. We can create entire worlds simply by the things that we think about. The things we dwell on have a major impact on the outcomes of our lives. Advertisers, uh, marketing, marketing companies, they know this all too well. They exist to get into your thoughts. Trillions of dollars are spent every year targeting your mind. That is crazy. Because they know, the advertisers know that if they can get your attention and they can get you to dwell on their product or the life that is promised by using their product, then they have won. Why is that? Because it's only a matter of time before those thoughts give way to action. It's only a matter of time. So I have a question I want you to consider this morning. Do you ever stop to think about what you are thinking about? And this is a question for myself. Do you ever stop to think about what you're thinking about? And do you stop and think about how the things you are thinking about may be affecting the life that you're living? Every action we take begins with a thought. 
I love how Craig Rochelle puts it. He says this, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Wow. Like, and this is, this is both really, really good news and really bad news. Like, this is bad news because when our minds are flooded with things that are destructive, when, when we dwell on things that cause fear or anxiety, when we repeat in our minds things that are not of God, what does it lead to? It leads to devastation and destruction. This is great news, however, because when we focus on the things of God, what happens? Like when we, when we constantly and repetitively think about the life we are invited into as God's children, it has drastic impact on the lives that we live. Look at how Romans 8 lays this out. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the, the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. That verse we'll preach right there. The, the things that we meditate on, the things that we think on, significantly impact the lives that we live. This, this is why the, the Proverbs speak so much about guarding the heart. Like when we let our minds, um, what, what we let into our minds eventually makes it into our hearts and then inevitably reaches our hands and feet. That's just how it works. That which captures our attention wins. That which captures your attention wins. Bobette Buster, super rad name, Bobette. Um, she's an award-winning producer and author who does workshops for top companies with storytelling for like Disney, Pixar, Sony, BBC, Google. But listen to what she says. Narrative is our culture's currency. He who tells the best story wins. Narrative is our culture's currency. He who tells the best story wins. So we are on a journey at Cedar Mill Bible Church of time and time again, over and over again, feeding our minds and our hearts with the best narrative of all time. The best narrative of all time, like the, the narrative that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost and that he is mighty to save. We continually like permeate our minds with the reality that at our worst, God stooped down into the muck and mire when we were least deserving and most desperate. And he said, come on, son, come on, daughter. He gave his life up for you and I. And we put on repeat the reality that Jesus' love overcomes and that we are dearly loved, not because of our doing, but because of his doing. And we've been rescued from sin and death. And then we keep talking about it. And we put this on repeat. And every sermon, we talk about this. Now and forever, we have eternal life, right? So we start living like it. And then because of this, our lives are changed. Our lives are no longer our own. In this world, we don't act like it's our home because it's not. And we go into this world equipped with a compelling message that's called the gospel. It's the good news. And we spread the most potent and the most life-changing message into our workplaces, into our schools, into our family gatherings that are usually pretty awkward. But if, if the best story wins, I know of no greater story than that of Jesus in pursuit of you and I. No greater love, um, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Something I've come to notice as I've worked my way throughout Scripture is that it seems far more concerned about what we are thinking than what we are feeling. So don't, I don't want to offend anybody here, okay? So I'm going to be careful here. Don't get me wrong. The, the Scriptures don't disregard your feelings. In fact, the Psalms are all about feelings, <laughs> Read that. It's all about feelings, processing your feelings with God. It's just that feelings aren't the truest thing about our humanity. 
Like, this is confusing, though, because our 21st century American culture is completely built and directed by feelings. It's like our greatest pursuit. Like, our cultural mantra is, if it feels good, do it, right? Oh, you've heard then. Okay, this isn't news to you. Like, do what feels good in your heart. Like, oh, does it feel, I just don't feel like my heart is, like, calling me in that direction. It's like, what? Your heart is deceitful above all else. What? Like, like the things that we feel aren't the truest things about us. Like, your feelings are always real, but they're not always reliable. Right? Your, your feelings are always real, but not always reliable. And I, I'm not saying, like, God doesn't use your feelings. He actually uses those and taps into those. Your feelings are very important. But what I am saying is that the you-do-you temperature of our world is one of the most destructive ideologies to our faith. The you-do-you, just whatever feels good, man, just do it, bro, you know? But listen to this proverb. This is, like, super prophetic in our day. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that feels right. It looks right. I mean, it's like, if it feels good, I must do it. And it actually is really deceptive because it leads to death, When we don't put careful thought into the lives that we live, we will come to the conclusion that the best life for me is sensation gratification and the pursuit of pleasure. Like this proverb serves as a massive warning. It's a word that says, do not be deceived. Don't be convinced that just because it feels and seems good that it is. Adam and Eve can attest to that. So can I, if you want any stories. But... Eugene Peterson, he goes on to explain it this way. We live in what one writer has called the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Write that down. Worship. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. When we obey the command to praise God and worship, our deep, essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. I love that. The age of sensation has tricked us into thinking that the most authentic thing that we could possibly do are the things that we feel like doing. You don't want me to do all the things that I feel like doing, okay? Like, I wonder, I wonder if this is why marriages struggle so much in our day. Like, you wake up, it's like, I just really don't feel like doing that anymore. Like, why, why do you think the work ethic in America is plummeting? It's like, I just don't feel like it. Or why, why is our default uh, to gratify our sensations or just to pursue what is most comfortable? Like, one really cool thing about um, the topic today that we're speaking on is that science is finally catching up to the Bible, It's really cool. We're going to nerd out a little bit. Psychology is proving time and time again that your thinking drastically impacts your living. Um, Kurt Thompson, uh, he writes this really helpful book about the connection between neuroplasticity, neuroscience, the spiritual disciplines, and living in community, which is really cool. And most of those words go over my head. But here's what he says. He says, neurons that repeatedly activate in a particular pattern are statistically more likely to fire in that same pattern the more they are activated. Meaning, you think one thought, you're more likely to think that thought again. This is review for a lot of you. But once the initial neurons in that network fire, there's a higher probability that that the related neurons will also activate and move along the same biometrical pathway to the end of that network. The more frequently those patterns have been fired, the more easily they will fire in that same pattern in the future. This is why you may immediately recall the ingredients needed to prepare spaghetti, which you make weekly, 
while you need the cookbook to prepare a holiday dish you haven't prepared in years. This is Ebb's axiom. He famously puts it, neurons that fire together, wire together, okay, <laughs> stay together, yeah, similar, yeah, yeah, basically. So then Thompson goes on to use this, this metaphor of a jungle. Like if you think a thought, it's like taking a machete to like really tall grass, it's like, and it's like, okay, and then you think that thought again, think that thought again, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, it, it becomes even more clear, and now your thought life takes that pattern whether you're thinking about it or not. It's now like your default setting. Like even if, even if this is really bad news because it, it might be a very dangerous and unhealthy trail because that is what we are at a like biochemical level wired to do. Now this whole theological mapping stuff is a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because when I walk into work, I'm like, hello, Luke, and I remember his name. But it's a, it's a really bad thing because we all get stuck in mental and emotional patterns that are really harmful to us. So in order to make a new pattern in our way of thinking, it takes a lot of repetition. Like you have to think and rethink and rethink over and over again. This is why we spend so much time teaching. Every Sunday, you're going to get teaching. And Wednesday night youth group, that's why we teach every week. And that's why we encourage scripture reading. And that's why we encourage memorization. And that's why we encourage, man, get a mentor and get into a community so you can talk about this stuff. And that's why we worship the same songs all the time. You're like, this song again? It's like, yeah, get that into your noggin, right? Get that into your, into your brain. It, it will have um, massive implications on the lives that you live. So if our thoughts have an impact on how we live, how in the world are we going to direct our thoughts? How do we make this teaching practical? Like, give me some nuts and bolts stuff, because it's not just like pull up your bootstraps and just like, think, think, come on, right? 2 Corinthians 10, let's go back to this, 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, that applies to everybody, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know, you have divine power to demolish strongholds. Like, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And get this part. We take captive every thought. We make it obedient to Christ. Make it obedient to Christ. That, that, that imagery is just wild. We take our thoughts captive, and we actually have power to demolish these strongholds, these thoughts that we're thinking. Dallas Willard puts it like this. The process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively, repl uh, pr progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with images and ideas that filled the mind of Christ himself. So spiritual formation in Christ moves to a total interchange of our images and ideas for his thinking God's thoughts after him. I love that. So, so here's something that I want us to consider doing this week as we conclude kind of the, this Proverbs teaching series is, is first off, take a thought inventory. Like what are you, what are you thinking about? What are some of the, the strongest things that you believe about yourself and about, the, about others and about the world that you live in? Like where does your mind go at the end of the day or when your mind is wandering? And just start listing those out, like just candidly. Like this is just what's going on in my noggin. Like, like in your heart of hearts, what do you think about? What negative or destructive thoughts are hanging out in your, in your mind? And once you've taken this thought inventory, 
We're going to take these thoughts captive, and we're going to make them obedient to Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, we're going to practice replacement. Practice replacement. Like, this is what that means. What spiritual truth demolishes that lie or stronghold? What things are true about Scripture um, that, that counteracts the lie that you're believing? Read through those and discern whether or not those things are true of you according to Scripture. Like, replace or counteract the lies you've believed with the truths of Scripture. So this is where it gets tricky because some of the things we believe about ourselves are pretty true. Like, I'm just going to be honest. Like, I'm not saying try really hard to convince yourself like you're somebody you're not. Like, Nick, you're so kind. It's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, I've actually been pretty rude lately, right? But it's like, of course, there's conviction that the Holy Spirit is changing in us. But I'm, I'm not saying try to convince yourself you're somebody you're not. But I am saying discern what things are untrue of you according to Scripture. And then, this is very practical, write it. Think it, confess it, till we believe it. Like on repeat, like this is just what we do. At the end of this process, you will have what is called like words to live by. These are your words to live by. These are the, the strongholds or the lies that you're bent to believe, but these are all the truths that scripture says about you. And you lean into those things. And this is important because the scripture is always talking about the mind, what we're thinking about. These words are the truth about, about you that demolish strongholds that so easily entangle us. So several years back, I was encouraged to do a similar thing, and I have thought about and reflected on my words to live by many, many times, and honestly, it's been one of the most powerful tools in my life. You could ask Allison, because she's like, remember the, no, she doesn't say that ever, to remember the rules you, to live by, but all, all the time, I'm like, I'm believing these lies, and I'm like, I need to go back to the truths of what the scriptures say are true about me. I've come back to this time and time again throughout the last several years, and it, it, I'm going to share them with you. It's going to be a little bit vulnerable. Um, and uh, let me just say, this is not a flex, like, look at me. This is actually more humbling. This is exposing my weakness, and it, it just shows you my need for God and my need for God's thoughts in place of my own. So, so after I listed my poor thoughts, here, here are the words that I now reflect on that are true about Scripture. Here it is. Jesus is the first and primary person in my life. He calls the shots. I exist to glorify him in everything I do. This one gets a little, yeah, I'm madly in love with Allison, and I will lay my life down to serve her. The cross is my motivation in this life. It compels my every action. I respect and love all people. I choose to believe the best about people. I wake up with purpose, direction, and meaning every day of my life. I bring gospel culture wherever I go today. I only choose to speak highly of people. I see inconvenient situations as an opportunity for God to move. The world will be different because I chose to serve Jesus today. Like, the, these are my words to live by. Yeah. And this isn't because, this isn't because, like, man, this is who I am today. And it's not wishful thinking either. Like, it's thinking God's thoughts over my life according to Scripture. It, it, it's, it's pairing God's truth with the lies I've believed about my life. And this is the sanctified life that I'm growing into over time. Like, can you imagine the power that this could have if, if you just woke up and you started every day with, like, this is the power of the Holy Spirit and what his word says is true about me? Can you imagine what that would do for your life? Right? You wake up and, and you're like, there's these lies, and it's like, nope. I'm not going there because what's true about me is what God says is true about me. Can you imagine the strongholds that would be demolished if we lived lives that took our, took our thoughts captive 
And as the proverb states, like we would give careful thought to our path. Not just like, let's see what today holds. No, careful thought to our path. We remain steadfast in our ways. Not turning to the right or to the left, but pursuing the narrow path of discipleship to Jesus. Like this is a life of wisdom. Giving careful thought to the lives that we live. Um, As we conclude, I want to be clear with this. You cannot think your way into Christ-likeness. You cannot think your way into Christ-likeness. It takes hands-on practice. Discipleship cannot be done in a classroom. A a disciple is much like an apprentice with hands-on, in-the-fields type of work. So so we come into this community weekly, and we engage our minds. So not not so that our, like, look how big my brain is now. Like, I'm super smart. Like, like I'm going to crush Bible trivia this week. No. Like, we do it so that our hands and feet are put into action. So that we exercise the things that, are, that is growing our brain. Like we have found a hope in Christ that is too powerful to keep to ourselves. We reflect on that and then we start slinging that out in the world. We are compelled into action because of what is true about us and because of what's true about Christ. So with that, can I invite you to stand and I just want to pray over you um, as we just respond in worship this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and that you've clarified that that what goes on in our mind is very um, important to you. And every one of us in this room have have been um, targeted in some ways with with thoughts that just simply are not true about who we are. Um, There's people just caught in patterns of shame and guilt because of past hurts. And I just say, um, like in Jesus' name, Uh, we are not our past decisions. We are what you've set us free from. And God, I know there's people in this room that are extremely, they're caught in this this thought process of um, stress over the state of the world. Like, oh, we're, like, there's just so much uh, to to hold onto our shoulders. And I just pray that you would come in and you would give us a sense of relief knowing that you, God, hold all things together as your scripture says it. Some of us in this room are in this thought process pattern where we think that we're useless or we have no purpose, but you actually number the hair on our heads. You created us far before we were ever in our mother's womb, and you give us a purpose and a plan, and you have something very specific for us. God, there's some of us in this room that we feel like we're less valuable or we're unseen, and God, you see us. As the prodigal son saw the son from a, from a far way, or the, yeah, the father saw the, the son from a far way off, and he comes running, you have a God who sees. God, I pray that we would be people who, who speak the truth of your word over our own lives. Give us power, the power that we need to demolish these strongholds. I pray that we would be just recalibrated to be the people that you've invited us to be. God, we love you, and as an act of worship, we respond um, by singing with one voice and declaring what's true uh, about us and about the world and about you, Jesus, on the throne. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen.